speak with her. Lord, I am thankful that the creator of the universe wants us to know him, wants me to know you. And that still amazes me in the midst of whatever life brings that your desire is to have my heart and for me to know you as you know me. Lord Jesus, in the struggles and trials our people are, are walking through and the challenges they face and the attacks of the enemy and the sufferings of living in this world, show us your presence and let us walk with you. As that song says, you're enough for me. Teach us what that looks like and let us know more clearly who you are as you say yes and as you say no in our prayers. Let us know you. Teach us as we open up your word as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. There's a number of things in this psalm that we got to, um, we began last week and just covered verses 1 through 3 as we had special music and the story of David's prayer of remembering God's pulling him up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and setting him on solid ground. He pulls us out of the pit onto the rock. And, that, and we have seen that pattern in our lives. We've seen it deeply through our coming to Jesus as sinners, being pulled out of, out of our sin and out of judgment and onto a solid foundation in Christ. We've seen that in specific circumstances. And uh, David, in the midst of a present trouble, in the midst of being in a present pit, in a present bog, begins his lament with a praise. And this is a different lament. It's a partial lament. A large, he begins differently. Uh, the pattern we've been speaking mostly about is turning to the Lord, uh, addressing the Lord, bringing our complaint to him voicing our complaint, asking boldly of him and trusting him. And here, David begins with trust. And so it's a little, it's, it's interesting reading David's response. And then David begins, and the way that I have set, I've chosen to separate this psalm from verse 1 through 3, David recounts God's goodness. Verse 4 through 10, David describes the blessed man. The blessed man. 4 through 10. And then 11 through 17, David describes the poor man. The poor man. And so we see two portraits in this passage. The portrait of the blessed man. And then he, transfer, he shifts into lament in the second half. And tells the portrait of himself. The poor man. And so uh, let's look at this portrait of the blessed man. As David continues in the song of praise, in the song of blessing, here he describes the blessed man, beginning in verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. 
You've multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. And so David begins with this general statement, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. And I think he means this in a general sense. Blessed is the person, the one, who makes God his trust. In your life, in the circumstances you face, what do you lean into? What's your go-to? What's your trust? Our go-to needs to be the Lord. The one who has made God their go-to is blessed. Is blessed. And one of the big signs we see of what you go to is your reaction in a troubling circumstance. Our reaction ought to be to pray. To go to the Lord first. And to go heavenward. And to look at God. Our God is our go-to. Blessed is the one who makes the Lord his trust. Con contrasting making the Lord our trust, this person does not turn to the proud. To those who go astray after a lie. I think um, I, I, one example of turning to the proud, I think about our celebrity culture and our politics. And how these exalted figures in our society who often laud themselves as the answer to our problems. The, I'm what you need. Follow me. I have the answer for this. And uh, really, uh, we see this everywhere in the political world. We see this in the celebrity world. We see this in YouTube. And the influencers on YouTube, everybody's got their own channel. And uh, in the saying, follow me, I have the answer uh, the one who trusts in the Lord doesn't turn to the proud, to the one that lifts themselves up. And notice it pairs that proud one the, to those who go astray after a lie. How often do, do some of these figures that we may gravitate towards or put our trust in lie or tell lies? I'm not saying they all tell lies. But they do more than I sus sometimes suspect. I'm surprised, I'm surprised when even in the political party that I have supported or voted in, I discover a lie from a leader that I, su I was surprised by. Or when they assumed that lying was part of the culture. And it was a good check from the Lord. Saying, make the Lord your trust. Him you trust. Not the proud nor those who go after lie. And then he, he turns and David acknowledges God. You have multiplied your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. The blessed one who trusts in the Lord proclaims and tells the deeds and the thoughts of God. How long would it take you to tell of all God's thoughts and his deeds? They are more than can be told. They are more than can be told. And this is actually a theme in the psalm, is telling, is proclaiming, singing out the things that God has done and who God is. You see it in verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth after the Lord pulled me out of the mire and put me on the solid rock. He put a song in my mouth, a song of praise. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When God answers our prayers, one thing he desires, one of the things he desires in answering our prayers is that we speak of him, is that we 
set that light on a stand. And it gave light to all the house. When the Lord brought his people out of Egypt, he didn't just do it for them. He did it that the world may see and know that there is a God in Israel. And that's what David said. He took on Goliath that the world would know that there is a God in Israel. When God answers my prayers, he, yes, he loves me. Yes, he gives good to me. But he also does it for his name's sake, that he might be exalted. When God tells of his promise to Israel that he would take out their heart of stone and give them a new heart. And that he'd take out that that. Um, that rebel spirit, that sinful nature in place in his own spirit and a cleansed heart. He says, I don't do this for you, but for my name's sake. For my name's sake, to exalt the greatness of my name. And so as God shows his love and his care, and as he moves on our behalf, let us open our mouth to speak of him. And you're going to see this more in the passage. You'll see it in uh, verse 9 and 10, and you'll see it again in verse 16, opening your mouth and speaking what God has done. The blessed man doesn't just have an open mouth, he has an open ear. Now listen to this in verse 6, and we see a shift here in the psalm, all right? There's a shift that happens. Verse 6, in sacrifice, in offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. In the Hebrew, what that phrase is, ears you have dug for me. What does that mean? In sacrifice and offering, you've not delighted, but you've given me an open ear. What is he saying there? One, there's something more important than, than shedding the blood of goats and rams. Yes? Or when I sin and I have to go and bring an offering to God, imagine that you're, you're an Israelite, an ancient Israel. Is there something God wants more than bringing a, a ram or a goat when you sin? Yes, he wants an open ear, an ear to hear and obey. Actually, the word in Hebrew to obey means to hear to. It's literally the verb to hear paired with the word to. To hear to God is to obey. God longs for us to trust and obey him. But here, David seems almost as if he's speaking about himself, but he's not. I want you to keep listening. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Verse 7, then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Wow, David seems to be saying some pretty strong statements there, does he not? Wow, the, behold, I have come. In your book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will. Is David speaking about himself here? In the Old Testament, Jesus is concealed oftentimes. Jesus Christ, God's Son, is throughout the Scriptures. But in the Old Testament, sometimes he's hidden. What we say, we would say in school, Old Testament concealed, New Testament 
revealed. And so any, um, we actually have in the New Testament comments on these verses. Uh, listen to these verses in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, the writer of Hebrews addresses this. And notice what he explains about these verses. So I'm going to flip there. All right. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Did you know that? It's impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sins. Can praying the rosary take away your sins? Now, actually Hebrews teaches us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and then they quote the psalm, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And then he explains the psalm. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. So here we see God is showing us, even in the Old Testament, the end of this system of sacrifices. It's, there's something better. There's something greater coming. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so we see here that when David is praying in Psalm 40, the New Testament writers say it's Jesus that's praying here. He is praying Jesus' words, okay? David was filled with God's spirit, Right? He was filled with Jesus' spirit. The Holy Spirit, who is God, filled David. And so sometimes when we're reading in the Psalms, we're seeing this mingling of David's human spirit with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes in the Psalms, we see the Holy Spirit almost takes over or takes the lead and prophesies about Jesus Christ. And so here we see... The Holy Spirit prays for Jesus' words in Psalm 40, 6 through 8. In sacrifice, in sacrifice and offering, you've not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Jesus saying that. Burn offering and sin offering, you've not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. And so David, in the middle of his, in the midst of his prayer, begins to prophesy about Jesus. There would be one who would come that would fulfill God's will. He had an open ear, or in as the translation that the New Testament quotes, a body had been prepared. For him, so God, who is not pleased with sacrifice in offerings as the full as the fullness of His will, had prepared a perfect sacrifice by preparing a body for His Son, Jesus. 
And so we see here, Jesus is the obedient, perfect sacrifice for you and for me. He's the obedient sacrifice. You and I, have we done the will of God perfectly? Can we say, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book that has written me. I delight to do your will. Your laws with my heart. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes I've said that, but many times, no, I have failed. Sometimes I like to do my will. But there was one that God prepared. He prepared a body for. Who delighted to do the will of God. God the Son. Jesus. And where those sacrifices of blood, of, of goats and bulls were to show us that there needed to be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. God is teaching his people that a perfect sacrifice would come through Jesus. He is the obedient sacrifice. Where you and I failed and fell short, God had prepared a perfect sacrifice who did the will of God. Every time you and I have failed to do the will of God, one thing we can do is remember God sent one who did his will perfectly, who has done his will perfectly, Jesus. He is the blessed one. He is the blessed one who trusts in the Lord, who is perfect in the Lord. And when I fail and I'm reminded that I've fallen short, it's a great time, not necessarily to just fall into condemnation or shame, but to look to the one who did it perfect. And he did it for you and for me on our behalf. And trust in him. When you and I trust in Jesus, not only does his sacrifice pay for your sins and your failures, all of that is laid upon him at the cross. But an exchange happens when you trust in Jesus. You know that exchange. You trade your sin, and what do you receive? What do you receive? Righteousness. Somebody defines for me the word righteousness. It's a big word. Three syllables. Righteousness. Maybe four. Rightness. Rightness. Being right with God. You ever felt wrong with God? Like something was out of tune? Christ has carried our sins and given us his righteousness. Imagine this, this statement, God looking at his son, perfectly doing his will. And then imagine you and God seeing you as if you had never broken his law, as if you had never crossed him, as if you had never failed, but had always done his will. That's what God has given you in Christ is his rightness. His righteousness as a gift. And so when we trust in Jesus, the blessed one, we're made right with God. And there's another miracle that happens. Not only does our position change with God, but God gives us his spirit. The spirit of Jesus that is praying in David, that's prophesying in David, now fills you and me. So that you and I, in Jesus can trust in the Lord and fulfill his will. That we can trust that Christ will fulfill God's will in my life and through my life. It's like Jesus takes over and he wants to lead everything in my life from that day forward. This Jesus who did what I couldn't, who succeeded where I failed, wants to fill your life. 
He wants to sit and drive your car, and he wants you to give him the keys to your car. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Have anybody got a question about that? I feel like this is a big truth, but I feel like I need to hear it over and over again. In Jesus, we can see God's will fulfilled in us. And so when you fail, when you fall short, trust in Jesus, the one who perfectly did the will of God. And then trust in Jesus to do the will of God in your life now. Jesus, I messed up. I failed. Thank you that you succeeded for me. Thank you that you took my sins. Jesus, would you take over now? Would you take the keys to my car and drive? Would you just fill me with your power? Would you give me your heart, God? I don't delight right now to do your will. But Jesus does. Would you give me your heart, Jesus, that I might do your will with pleasure? Sometimes I forget how simple it is to simply trust and transfer my trust into Christ. And say, Jesus, I've been doing it on my own. I forgot. You want to do this through me. Would you just give me your heart? Renew in me. What did, what did David pray? Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. In that moment, we trust in Jesus, the blessed one, who has succeeded on our behalf. The obedient sacrifice. And we just transfer trust and let him lead once again. If you have to do it a hundred times in a day, that's okay. That's okay. Praise God. Isn't that good, guys? Isn't that good? It is not up to you in your flesh to fulfill God's will, but Christ has already done, done it, and he will do it in you and through your life. Man. And so when we read these psalms, maybe you find it's hard to pray them. Maybe you find, man, this is really hard to pray. You know, I delight to do your will. Or, um, or David sometimes prays with such confidence and almost purity of heart, you wonder how he can pray those things. In our flesh, we can't. But if we trust in Jesus, who lives inside of us, we can pray those things. Lord, not in of myself, but Jesus who lives in me, delight to do your will. So, you know, I get that that's a sermon in and of itself. All right, um, let's continue with these, the signs of what this blessed one, he trusts in the Lord does. He doesn't turn to the proud. He doesn't go after a lie. He tells the works of the Lord. He has an obedient ear, and here we see his Christ, a specific person. He also tells the good news of deliverance, verse 9 and 10. I have told the glad news of deliverance. Now, my version says deliverance. Anybody have a different word there, verse 9? I've told the glad news of deliverance. Justice. justice. Yeah, justice is good. Reliability. Reliability. My footnote says righteousness. Righteousness, the glad news of deliverance. What? Oh, righteousness, justice. Where does he tell us good news? In the great congregation. That's interesting. In the great congregation, in the assembling, a great assembling. So either David may be speaking about in the gathering of Israel, he would declare God's good news. He would declare God's deliverance, his righteousness, his salvation, his law. But I could also see, um, and I, I could see an application for us. 
declaring when we gather together, telling the good things that God has done. There's many traditions Broadway had when I came here. Some of them we've done away with, some we've kept. We kept the praises and prayer requests, partly because it gives an opportunity for people to tell the good things that God has done in the congregation, to declare the works of the Lord, to declare his good deeds. And sometimes it's simple, sometimes it fluctuates, but I love that portion. I used to not like it, um, but it has grown on me big time because I get to hear the great things that God is doing in your life. And sometimes it is a retelling of what God has done. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God that he has given us Jesus Christ, that Christ raised from the dead. We hear some praise, whether a present deliverance or a past answer to prayer, or even going back to the cross, that opportunity to declare him to those around us, especially the church. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation, and I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. When I read this, I am reminded of our need to continue to speak forth not just the good things of God, but of God's salvation. Some church cultures, and I really like Sovereign Grace's culture. This is a denomination. Olivia's uh, parents, church, they are very good at continually explaining and sharing with one another the salvation of God. What happens when we gather today and we remind one another, hey, God has brought salvation through Jesus. We preach the gospel. We share the good news. We share of God's deliverance with one another. Oh God, would you make that a habit in our thinking, in our hearts, that we would remember the good news that you have done. And in the midst of all trials and circumstances and troubles, we would remember your goodness. And we'd be lifted up as we recognize that you have saved sinners through the shedding of the blood of your son obedient sacrifice. God, teach us to think that way. Lord, I need a reminder and a renewal of my spirit to preach, as they say, preach the gospel to yourself daily. And I remember seeing a wedding where a pastor said that to his daughter and his son-in-law who were getting married. He said, preach the gospel to yourselves daily. Get it in your bones. And then they had to repeat it. And that kind of got my bones too that day. Remembering, preach the gospel to yourself daily. Get it in your bones. Get it in your spirit. The writer of Hebrews says we need to pay attention to that good news message, lest we drift away. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Lord, take my heart. Take and seal it, Lord. Set me on this truth. Set me in this gospel message. And let us share that message with one another, teaching one another, as the scriptures say. The psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as we've done today. And so we see this portrait of the Blessed One. And I do think it is general. I do think it applies to us. But in the middle of it, we see the portrait of Jesus brought out by the Spirit of God in David's prayer. Now David shifts big time here. And he shifts to his present trouble and his own poverty of soul and spirit. And we see that. It's such a funny shift that happens here. Listen, as he remembers God's goodness, he comes into his present circumstance and his present situation. And he prays. And listen to his prayer. As for you, O Lord, 
You will not restrain your mercy from me, and your steadfast love and your faithfulness will preserve me. Now he begins with God's character and remembering God's character as he looks now at his present trial and present struggle. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails me. Ooh, rough. You know, it'd be nice if the Lord pulled me out of the miry bog, set me on the rock, and then I never tripped back into the mire and never got stuck again. But here we see in David's life, once again, evils encompass me. Not just evils externally, not just bad things or bad people or bad intentions outside, but my own iniquities. My own iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. Did you notice that too? I, I caught that second part of that phrase. My sins, my iniquities have overtaken me and I what? I can't see. I can't see. The blinding nature of sin. The blinding nature of sin. When we choose sin and when we live in sin, it clouds our judgment. It clouds our eyes so that we can't see clearly. And it's interesting when Jesus speaks about our needing to correct and to approach others in love, to, to correct or to rebuke or to, you know. The first thing he says is to look at ourselves and, and to remove whatever might be hindering our own vision. To repent of our own sin, then we will see clearly, he said, to approach another in their sin. Sin tends to blind us and disorients us to the truth. So that sometimes I may remember God is good. I know up here that God is good, but I sure don't feel that. I sure don't see that right now. And we may cry out as David did. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Wow. Wow. I'm impressed that as David recognizes how great his present trouble is, how much praise he had offered to the Lord in that first half. You notice that? How David just totally is able to lift his eyes completely and recall God's grace and kindness and goodness and tell of God's wondrous deeds and his character and his salvation and his faithfulness and his steadfast love. And then he says... Help! <laughs> uh, wow, what grace God has given him to remember the Lord in the midst of a present trouble and to look back. God, you've been faithful then, you're going to be faithful now in these days. Wow, Lord, Lord, give us that grace to be able to pay attention to you and to look to you and to see you when we can't see, when our evils encompass us without number, when our iniquities overtake us and our heart fails us. And then he cries for help. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Notice in verse 1, he said, I waited patiently for the Lord. But here he says, Lord, help me quick. Make haste to help me, Lord. And then, as Jamie pointed out, uh, and she was sharing, sometimes... He prays these prayers or even curses upon his enemies. Listen to this section of those who seek his life. God, he prays that they be put to shame. Let those who be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor 
who delight in my hurts. Let those be appalled because of their shame and who say to me, aha, aha. Now this is interesting. One thing that just came to me as I was reading that. Notice David has these evils encompassed on the outside, but he doesn't blame all of it on his enemies, does he? He recognizes his own sin in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his own troubles. When David was, was led out of the kingdom and he was cursed by a man who threw dirt and rocks at him and cursed him and said, you're a man of blood. David went up on that hill being banned from his own throne and, uh, and from his own kingdom and his right-hand man said, should I cut him down? Let me cut him down. And David says, no, let him, for the Lord has told him to curse me. And David acknowledges his own sin. He acknowledges his own sin. He remembers his past sins and how they've been a part even of the evils that he struggles with. Not completely. We can't always separate this, this from our tax without or tax within. But you see that mingling and the humility of David's heart. And yet David prays he does pray, Lord, deliver me from evil. He prays that the Lord would shame those who seek his hurts, that they'd be appalled, that they'd be confounded. I don't know if you've ever prayed that way for your enemies. It's a tough prayer. And I think in the New Testament, Jesus teaches us to pray uh, for the Lord to have mercy on our enemies. Why? I think one aspect is because the Lord does love our enemies. But we also need to remember that we too were an enemy of God at one time. And the Lord had mercy on us and wants to us to extend that heart towards others. But there will be a day when he who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy will be utterly ashamed. And the Lord will bring an end to all the wicked and all evildoers. There will be a judgment day when the Lord will deal out those who refuse to repent, refuse to trust in him. And I think when we've been hurt, we can, <laughs> we can offer that heart to the Lord and entrust the Lord to repay. The Lord said, "Do not take vengeance for us to not take vengeance into our own hands, but he says, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. I will repay. In our lament, sometimes we want to pay out what we've been paid. We want to hurt because we've been hurt. I mean, you've heard that phrase, hurt people, hurt people. It's true. It's true. Hurt people, hurt people. And when we're hurt, we want to hurt back. But rather than hurting back, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. We may offer that up to the Lord and trust the Lord to repay. Because you know what? When I repay, I don't repay justly, do I? Usually if somebody slaps me on the cheek, I might want to slap them two times just to end it, you know. <laughs> the problem is the other person's thinking the same thing. <laughs> but when the Lord repays, he repays perfectly. And he is the one who has the right to repay. And we are to entrust that to him. And to lift that up to him. And I would begin by praying mercy over our enemies because of the, remembering the mercy that God has had on me. But it's okay to ask God to be just as well, although that is fearful. Although that is fearful.
But notice again this mingling of deliverance and judgment where, where David asks for salvation or being saved and judgment and how they're paired together. That's such an interesting pattern in Scripture. So we see shame to his enemies, but then he transitions joy to those who seek you. Shame to my enemies, but joy to those who seek you. But in contrast to these, may all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And beloved, I pray that over you. I prayed that over you this morning. May you who seek the Lord rejoice and be glad. May you find joy as you lift your gaze and your eyes and your heart to God. And may he fill your heart in even a way that is not understandable in worldly terms. Or in the midst of the pain and the sorrow and the struggle that there is a joy that is born of his spirit who lives inside of you. For the fruit of the spirit is love and joy. May you rejoice and be glad. It's interesting, Jesus he tells us what to do when we are persecuted. You know what he says to do? Rejoice and be glad. For so they treated the prophets who were before you, were to have a heavenly gaze and to realize that even when we're mistreated, that there is an honor in siding with the Lord. And having our gaze, as Deborah shared, that there is a day when every tear will be wiped away, when every promise will be fulfilled, when every prayer will find its full answer in the Lord. And in that day, there will be great joy, and no one will be able to take our joy on that day. In light of these things, if we keep our gaze eternal, I think we can find joy. And we can find joy in the Lord now. Let those rejoice and be glad who seek you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. May you find such delight in the Lord and may you come to understand his salvation so deeply and clearly that you can't help but continually say, Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. May it be the overflow of your heart, beloved, as you find your God who loves you. Now notice David's humility as he finishes the psalm with this last verse, verse 17. As for me, I am poor and needy. Notice he contrasts himself with those who seek the Lord, not as if he's not seeking the Lord, but he wants them to be blessed and glad and joy, and yet he even humbles himself even further and says, as for me, I am poor and needy. He takes the lowest place. But what is his comfort in that place? But the Lord takes thought for me. The Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. In the midst of our trials, in the midst of our poverty, it is a comfort to know that the Lord takes thought for us. As uh, Psalm 103 says, he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. You may be tempted sometimes to think that God has forgotten you. You're wrong. He has you may be thinking that maybe he has more important things. I've heard, I've heard people in our congregation in maybe a, in a humble sense think that God maybe has more important things to do than to hear or to answer my prayer. But you're wrong. But you're wrong. 
What is verse? What did David say in verse five? He has multiplied his deeds and his thoughts toward us. The Lord thinks of us. The Lord thinks of us more. You could not count how many times in a day God thinks of you. David prays in another place in Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? I don't know if this has ever confounded or struck you, but I sometimes pause, and I've paused recently and thought, Lord, what is it that you, the creator of the universe, the one who sustains all things, the one that tells the earth to revolve around the sun, and the one that twists the galaxies, thinks of you? He's mindful of you. He's mindful of your life. He's mindful of your pains. He's mindful of your struggle and your sorrows. And he empathizes with your heart. God thinks of you. David said, when I sit, you know when I sit, you know when I rise. You know when I lay down. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. You had me in before and behind me with your hand upon me. And then he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I can't attain it. I don't understand this God who loves me. I mean, it's incredible that God would think of me in my poverty, in my neediness, and yet he does. Beloved, so we see this portrait of the blessed man and the poor man. Remember that in our poverty, in our trouble, that as we're encompassed by evil and iniquity, and as we fall short, God has sent one who has done the will of God perfectly. The blessed man, the one whose ear is open and whose heart is ready, who delights to do the will of God, he saves sinners. He pulls them out of the miry pit and he clothes them with his righteousness before God. He makes them right with God and he sets them with himself upon his throne he will destroy every enemy and deliver us from every evil. And his name is Jesus Christ. Trust in him and take your prayer to the one that is mindful of you. Beloved, may you be glad and find joy in the Lord as you seek him. And may you speak forth in thankfulness. Great is the Lord. Jesus, we've heard three sermons today. And we have heard word from your spirit. We invite you and just keep an open heart in Christ before you. To receive of you and to obey. Thank you, Jesus. Hear the prayer of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. We are dismissed. Thank you.